Well, perhaps you've had various moments where you're singing in worship and there are certain components of lyrics that really uh, arrest your soul on that morning. One of those for me this morning is when we're singing that second song and we're saying and we're singing together, take everything, take everything. And I sit there and I, you know, as you, as you sing these things and you, it really just challenged my own life to think, do I mean that? Like you can take all the things that were precious and are precious to me and you can, if, if you need to use them in different ways for your own purposes, am I okay with that? As we think, as we're continuing together our stewardship month and our stewardship series, I think as we consider our lives, and specifically this morning and the stewards of, of, of talent, uh, I would encourage you and invite you to take your Bible this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As we're thinking about this and this idea of God using all of who we are for his purposes, that he has redeemed us and he has given us talents and given us gifts that we can use to honor and glorify him. Uh, I, I wonder, in our own lives, as we consider the stewardship of talents, to begin asking ourselves, even this morning, what am I reluctant to give up so that he can use what he's given to me more? What am I willing to give up so he can take it all and he can use it for his glory. That is the point of stewardship. God using all of what he has done in us so that we bring him all the glory that belongs to him. We use our time in that kind of way. And in this morning, as we consider this morning, this idea of stewarding our talents and gifts for the Lord. Well, you, let's, let me give you a little bit of just backdrop before we read uh, 1 Corinthians 12 in our text this morning and, and dive into this subject, uh, beginning in verse 12. Consider, for example, of all the, of all the churches that, that are written about in the New Testament, that Paul feels compelled and, and is driven by the, by the Spirit of God to write an inspired letter to, it was the church at Corinth. Starting on his second missionary journey, coming across a very pagan city, consider just for a moment what it meant to be a citizen or a dweller in the city of Corinth. To be known and to understand in the, in the pagan world that even amongst pagan people, the city of Corinth stood out for its pagan idolatry and, and sexual immorality, even above many other pagan cities. So much to the point that many people would associate the idea of to Corinthianize with that kind of pagan immorality that was constantly pervasive in that particular area. Paul goes there and he sees a remarkable work of God begin on his second missionary journey. You can find that and read about that in Acts chapter 18 later if you have never read that account. Remarkable account as God in his sovereignty allows Paul to see redeemed people begin in not only just a small group but enough to be able to have a church start. 
You will find in Acts chapter 18, Paul, Paul stays about a year and a half ministering to the city, uh, to these people in the city of Corinth before he has to go on and Silas and Timothy eventually join him and he moves on to start another church and praying for the Corinthian church that they would stay strong. But if you, real, if you read the book of Corinthians, uh, you would realize it's probably not the church that you would say, I'm, I'm so glad I'm a member. There was so much, there were so many problems in the church. Not like we can relate to problems in churches at all. Before we disassociate ourselves thinking, well, we don't have problems like that. Every church I know has problems, which means it's not an issue of welcoming yourself into a perfected group of believers, but we are wanting to welcome people into being perfect in Christ as they continue to grow in sanctification and knowledge and having their hearts in tune with what God desires for them. Well, this church struggled on many different fronts. But one of the fronts, if you could lump it all into various categories, I would say that we could lump it into this category that would help us as we're thinking about the text this morning. That from its inception and its challenge to remain faithful to the truth, the Corinthian church uh, over time became this one word, worldly. They became a church who was not known for the, as much for the gospel of Jesus Christ, but having to have Paul start out a letter and having to confront the church by them not addressing various issues in their life. It continued to grow in their worldly perception of what it meant to be part of the body of Christ. And in the text before us, one of these worldly efforts and pursuits was to be exalted based upon the gifts that God had given in the church and beginning to start looking at other people as if there's these people who have these high and exalted positions and then there are these people who don't really matter as much and people were wanting and vying for positions and, and exalted and exalting talents and de-exalting various other gifts that were given to the body for the sake of their own benefit. And this is the church at Corinth. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12 as a, clarative, a, clarity, a component of clarity for them to understand why did God give gifts to the church and the talents that we possess and, and where did they come from and what kind of attitude should they be used with? And that's where we find ourselves uh, in this chapter of the spiritual gifts. And let me make one caveat as various components of gifts that are mentioned in the, in the Corinthian church some of which now, based upon the completion of the canon, the completion of Revelation, even these in the end of 1 Corinthians 13, some gifts would pass away. But during their time, God was still using these because they didn't have the completed sense of Revelation so that they could know exactly what it is that God wanted for them. And so he addresses this perspective in 1 Corinthians 12 because they were exalting various components. Follow with me if you would, 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. He says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ." 
For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of, of, of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. And if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and yet one body. Now, as we consider these particular moments, uh, or these particular texts of Scripture, I want to remind us, and think about this, that the beauty of the church is displayed by the collection of the redeemed who are using their talents for the purpose of the glory of God. That is part of what God intends to do in the church. I always find it fascinating when, I, when you read about the church, and I, I don't know how people can't, to some degree, get fired up about the church because Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself so that people could be saved and they could be collected. And there was a mystery. And the mystery, by the way, and of course this is revealed in Ephesians chapter 5, he says the mystery, that which was hidden, that is now revealed is primarily concerned with the church. Now think about this for a moment. The visible representation of the church, the collected universal body of redeemed people are, although only God knows what that clear number of all the redeemed of all the churches everywhere, he collects them and he takes what is a mystery And he puts them together and makes them visible for the sake of his glory through the collection of the saints in the body. This is a remarkable component of what Jesus would do so that as we looked at the lives of one another, that we would say, we belong Not just to any group of people, not just to some religious affiliation, not just some group of people that make us feel good about us, but to to a group of people who predominantly claim the message that Christ is the only one who can redeem us and who can then is desirous to use us for the sake of his glory. That is the church. There could be no greater uh, mystery in one sense that how God takes all kinds of people diverse in all of their backgrounds in history and he collects them all in one place and, and he brings glory to himself. Well, I'll tell you, it reminds me that the stewardship of talent and how we steward our talents it is designed to display the beauty of the church. And the beauty of the church is found in redeemed people who then, who have been changed from the inside out and no longer are they saying to themselves, I'm not going to use 
what God has given to me, they have an inner compulsion to not just sit there. Now, let me just say this as, as you are here this morning, and, and uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I really want to challenge you with this. Don't just be a pew filler. Don't be someone who says, I'm so excited to get to part of the church. And then all you do is sit there and soak things in. Now, I want you to sit there. I want you to soak things in, so don't get up and leave. But learning and understanding is for the sake of putting, on, putting Christ on display and using the gifts and talents in which God has given to you. I mean, the ultimate goal, is it not, in the life of the church for any, any church, is to be able to say that all of the parts are functioning. God doesn't want us to just sit there and do nothing. I know it begs the question, well, then what should I do? And it also begs the question of the heart's desire of what do I want to do? And I would challenge you, there are going to be things you want to do, but I think we have to ask a bigger question is what does the church need for people to do according to God's standard? Well, at least on a basic level, we could at least say this, right? God expects us to beautify, the, by, beautify his church by using our talents. So that when we use them and somebody says, man, you're really good at that, you don't step back for a moment and say, I know. I've been waiting for you to notice. That we say, I don't deserve to be used that way. Whether it's a position that is outward and visible or whether it is a position that is unnoticeable and invisible to the rest of the body, Paul is saying to the Corinthian believers, be careful that you use your talents in a way that comes from a heart that is pure before God. It's not just a matter of not being a pew filler. Even if you could get up this morning and say, I'm going to go do something and I'm going to sign up for every single ministry which you can't, you can't commit to all of that. But it begs another question. Even if I choose to do whatever he's, and use whatever he's given to me, with what heart will it be used with? See, I can do the right things with the wrong heart attitude, and then God is equally displeased. That is the case of what's going on in 1 Corinthians 12. These are things that God had given for the benefit of the church, and now people were trying to use what God had given as a gift for their own purposes and self-exaltation. I mean, not that that goes on in any kind of first century, or in, in a 21st century church, does it? Quietly, perhaps, in the, in the confines of their own heart and mind, somebody's saying to themselves, how come nobody notices me? See, but God in his sovereignty does something remarkable with the life of the church. He collects a group of people who are widely diverse, filled with a widely diverse backgrounds and ethnicities, 
and he puts us all together and he says, don't fight, have unity. And use your gifts for the glory of God. Well, notice this as we, as we think about these truths. I want to give you two, two truths this morning and two particular excuses that come uh, that people often use when we think about these talents. 1 Corinthians 12 says, For as just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, and so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Consider this truth, that all members of the visible body as well as the invisible body become part of the body of Christ in the same exact way. Here's what it tells us. This is so important for us to be clear about how this, how this text unfolds. This argumentation of why you should use the right gifts in the right way. And this is where Paul starts his argumentation. Okay, this, is, this is part of his, his argument. You all came here on a trajectory towards hell, and so did I. And then we have been redeemed, and we all came in by one person's work. The work of Christ. You all and I, we all came in destitute and lost and and we needed to repent of our sins. What that should do for us is realize that I was of the same need. God did not simply say, I'm going to look out at all humanity and I'm going to select people for salvation who are incredibly responsible, highly articulate, highly articulate, super educational minded, filled with all kinds of talent. You know what he did? He didn't do any of that. He was, he was not concerned with what you knew or all that you had to offer. Because you had nothing to offer. I had nothing to offer him. I came in my sin, having been drawn by the work of the Spirit of God to be saved and to be chosen by God for his purposes and his alone. So if all of a sudden I come in in in, from that venue, I don't have the right to say this. Well, I'm not going to use my talents. Wait a minute. You came in here the same way everyone else did. God gifted you with the various talents and gifts in your life. You don't have the luxury. I don't have the luxury to say, nope, I'm just going to sit here. Our goal is 100%, and I recognize this is the ideal. But do you realize, I don't think any church of anywhere, of any time, has experienced 100% of the body doing what the body's supposed to do and using their gifts and ta- talents. Well, how do I know that? Well, partly because we're sinners. And we struggle with wanting to lay aside things so that we can do something of, of greater value for the sake of other people and for the glory of God. But for years in ministry, you'll hear churches on various levels and various sizes say this particular phrase. Well, of the people are doing 100% of the work. Now, I have to believe, and I've been in churches in a number of different places and have a number of different friends in pastoral ministry, and one common factor is that statement. 
How do we get the body engaged to do what the body's supposed to do so that God is glorified? The reality is, is our ideal and God's ideal goal for the church is that every person in the body is functioning according to the gifts and talents and is not sitting there saying, you know what, I'm not going to do that. Well, why? Because we all came in from the same direction. Now, notice what he's saying in the context. You've got some in the church who are saying, well, I've got this gift. And in this case, it was prophecy and tongues and all these visible representations of the gifts that were being exalted in the life of the body. And he's saying to these people with that heart attitude, wait a minute. You didn't, ex- you didn't give yourself that gift. You didn't say, you know what, I worked really hard, and I've been working for years, and so I've perfected this gift. No. You came in here with nothing. And believers, we need to reminder what, a reminder to ourselves when it comes to our talents that we came to the Lord with nothing to offer. He redeemed us and then gave us the things that we would need to use in his visible body for the sake of beautifying his church so that people could be pointed to the very glories of God. And I like how Paul points this out in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in a previous verse in verse number 7. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Well, it does beg the question, for whose common good? For the local church, for the visible representation of the universal body. So if you're asking yourself, well, God, who should I use my talents on? Look around you. It is to these people. It is to this group of which you look across and sit in Sunday school with and come to church with and go have coffee with, that you and I should be asking the question, how can I use my talent for the sake of the people that God has covenanted to me together with? It is so important for us. No one enters from some different chute religiously. I love this this, this declaration of the gospel ministry because so often in an environment of the, of the Western culture where you have religious affiliations and people tend to think, well, you're coming in from this chute and you're sliding down this way, but you're gonna end up in heaven and I'm sliding down this chute and I'm gonna end up in heaven. What he's saying to them is no one gets to heaven because some religious affiliation People get to heaven because they've been baptized into by the Spirit of Christ because of the work of Christ and the drawing of the work of the Spirit. Isn't that what John 6.44 says? No man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. He extends that. Even Jesus says in John 12, and when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus is the only way for salvation. There is not different shoots. There are not different religious affiliations. There is one gospel, one faith, one baptism. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father unless they come through him. 
That is the reality. And our world would tell us, and they're fine with a level of tolerance, as long as you say, Jesus is a way. They're fine with that. But that is not what the scriptures uh, proclaim, is it? He doesn't say, Jesus is a way. He says, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And that's what this reality is for these believers. They were baptized by one spirit. Now, as you read a text of scripture, and it uses this idea of baptism, you'll notice in in the course of the New Testament, this interconnected relationship of spirit baptism and the illustration of that through physical baptism, right? That's the whole point. But every time you come to a text that talks about something about baptism, you're going to be asking yourself, is this a physical baptism or is this spiritual baptism? 1 Corinthians 12 is not talking about physical baptism. It's talking about spiritual baptism. You have been immersed. You have been immersed in the things of the Spirit because the Spirit drew you. You didn't do that to you. Someone else, it's the Spirit of God who did that to you. Now, there is no doubt a connection, is there not, to the physical reality of baptism in the life of the congregation? There is, because that baptism is a symbol, an ordinance of what the Spirit did. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what Paul is trying to express. You were, in Romans 6, you were buried with him in a death like his, and you were raised to newness of life with a life like his. You get eternal life. Now, when it comes to the issue of stewarding our talents, as he so uh, addresses in this particular text, notice something that he's trying to tell us. And he comes right at the very end of this phrase. We're baptized into one body. Now, notice this. Jews, Greeks, slave, free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. See, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, and you've never repented of your sins and trusted him, please understand this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is calling you to exclusivity of worship of Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. You cannot be saved. You will never get into heaven. You will be sentenced to eternal damnation in hell if you don't repent of your sins and and express an allegiance of exclusivity to Jesus Christ alone. and and, And now, what is the outworking of that salvation? It's the using of your gifts for the glory of God. You're not doing things to earn something You're doing things because you're so thankful for what's been done for you that you could never do for yourself. But you cannot get into heaven unless you say Jesus is not a way, he is the only way. Acts 4.12 is so so clear for us. There is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved Now notice what that does to the boundaries of our social economic structures. You notice? We all come here with nothing to offer. Different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different perspectives, different backgrounds. And what he's saying to us 
is it's, it's not about respectability. It's not about, oh, you're, you're, you're prophesying, or you're this, or you've got this talent, or you've got that talent. It's not about that. It's not about all of those things, and it's not about ethnicity. If you haven't noticed, if you've been living in our culture for a while, it, it seems to be a pervasive mentality that all of a sudden our, our Western culture's mindset is more about reflecting individuality and the Bible is more concerned about community. He's not saying, okay, we need X number of people from this background and X number of people from that background and X number of this ethnic background. No. And we need some from this socioeconomic status. God it has saw fit to collect different churches in different ways and bodies all over look differently. Which means that the sole pursuit of the body of Christ is not, and we cannot allow, allow it to be hijacked, that it's now its purpose is primarily to display ethnic diversity more than it is to display the visible representation of the church that is the glory of God, collected together, diversely situated, in such a way that we're all come into the body in the same way, using our talents and, and gifts for the same reason and for the same person to be glorified. In our culture, we must guard it. And what it's saying to us is something that is so countercultural in our Western society. Our Western society so often says individuality is far more important than community. Therefore, when people come in our culture to a body of believers, the visible representation of Christ, they are sometimes bent with saying about themselves, you don't know what you have here. And they think about themselves thinking, oh, I've got tons of stuff to offer these people. I can't wait for them to see the gift God gave to them. Our bent because of sin, primarily, because that is not a cultural acquisition, is it? That is a sinful disposition that says, look at me, instead of look at Christ. And the body is about looking at Christ. Strength, by the way, comes through community, not individuality. It comes from community. This is why I have to believe that the visible representations of the church are some of the most stronger uh, strongholds of, of, of this sacred component that Paul says to Timothy. It's the pillar, the ground of the truth. We have to guard it. We have to entrust it to faithful men. But we have to live by it and proclaim it. Which means we also know that if we all come in, in the same way, that this truth applied means every part of the body has to function for the same purpose. It's not for you, it's for him. So if you're thinking about using your talents for the glory of God, please, before you get started, and before, and I say this all the time to different uh, people who come through our starting point class, now before you rush into any ministry, and we want you to be part of it, check your heart as to why. And why this one and what are you trying to accomplish to make sure that you're, you're being sensitive to using your gifts for the glory of God? 
Now, there's often excuses that are given, and here's our first excuse. I'm going I'm to frame it in the, in the sense of a collective group of excuses, and, and they will be personal excuses. You notice this in 1 Corinthians 15, where all of a sudden he says that the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Now, people often give personal excuses as to why they don't want to use their their talents. Some of them are plain and simple that people just are overtly open about. And it starts with something like, well, I don't really want to belong to a visible representation of the church. Like, that's kind of where I halt myself. Like, I don't need that. Or they'll just say, I don't want to belong, I just want to attend. Can I just challenge you? Don't just be an attender. Belong to the visible body of the church that have been set in motion by the death of Jesus Christ. It is the place where you will find the, the people that you are supposed to be responsible to use those talents on. Yes, it'll be far more than that, but it certainly is that group of people because Paul is speaking within the context of the local church. Other people will use an excuse like this. Well, I'm not as valuable as other parts of the body, and since people don't value me in the way I think I should be valued, then I'm not going to do anything until people start valuing me the way I think I should be valued. Now you think, I've never heard anybody say that. Well, they don't say that. They just do this and sit and do nothing. But inwardly before God, they'll end up standing accountable as to how they think other people should see them. See, we we need to dispense, and that doesn't mean that there isn't a sense in which God has uniquely done various things in each of our lives that make that special about your life and your story. But the gospel is not about my story or your story. It is about the story of Christ. And we must not ever use our mindset or our talents in a way that will hijack a perspective and a glory that only belongs to him. People say, well, I'm not as valued. And some will even, people will say, well, you know what? Uh, I don't think people really appreciate me. I've often honestly seen this happen in in various occasions of ministry, the the older a person gets. Because they look in their later part of their years, they begin to sense, uh, you know what, I can't do what I used to do. I don't have the energy that I used to have. And therefore, I'm not valued as much. It's not an issue of value. It's an issue of just being responsible within the season that God has given you and put you in at the moment. Please be responsible in every single season. That doesn't mean, well, I can't do this because I'm no longer young. Young, but what can I do? That should be what we say. It cannot come out of a sinful attitude or actions because people often use this, these excuses and it comes from hearts of, of believing a sense of falsehood. Well, they don't really know who I am. I don't think they want a person like me. Well, if you're here this morning and you think, you know, I don't think Jesus wants a person like me, can I just tell you? He does. 
He sent his only son to die on your behalf so that you could be saved through him. Don't believe in this sense like, I'm just never going to find a sense of belonging. You can have it. It's there for you in the body of Christ. And all you have to do is repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And he'll save you. And you will belong through the work of his spirit who baptized you into the body and gave you gifts, which is so interesting to me because when you think about it in a sense of, well, when did these things happen? Well, he's talking about giving gifts to people who he redeemed. So what that tells me is if you're redeemed, you've got something now that you didn't have before and everybody has something but some people have different things, and some people have more than, more than others. But is the issue more or less? It's not, is it? It's not, well, I don't have enough. It's, what am I doing with what he's given to me? That's the question. Because all of you have been given something. We can't all of a sudden allow this heart idea, these excuses to well up in our heart of a sense of pity well, I'd love to help like so-and-so, and and if I had their talents, I mean, that would be phenomenal. Oh, and I could do so many things for God, but I just got this. So I guess I'll just, I guess I'll just work in the nursery. Well, if that's your hard attitude, and all of a sudden you, you pity the very gift that Jesus Christ through the work of the Spirit went through great lengths to give to you. Exalt that one thing, whatever that may be. Don't be jealous of other people that you wish you had their talents. And so often, people will say things in their own heart because they never visibly say this, audibly, but they say it in their heart. I want that position. Don't be position-orientated. Find yourself, I so often remember this on various different occasions in the life of ministry. And at one particular occasion, uh, as I was serving in a, a smaller church, it, and you're in a smaller church, I'll tell you what, it's all hands on deck. You know what that means? Pastor cleans the toilets too. And I can't sit there cleaning the toilets every single week when it's our group's turn and go, you know what, I, I am above this. What am I doing in here scrubbing these toilets? Do you know what the men's bathroom looks like? I mean, you hear people lament in all kinds of ways. But you can't get to the point where you say, that's below me. Gifts are about saying, you know what? It's not about uh, jealousy. It's not about position. And therefore, you cannot isolate yourself from the body and say, I refuse to not to use my gifts for the Lord. And what he's saying is all parts are necessary in order to make the whole function properly. That's why I'm so excited when we get new member recognition and every time we start a starting point class because I think to myself, God's bringing us more parts. He is doing something because he is, he is creating a structure and adding to the structure because there's parts that we don't have that he knows that we need in order to help be, be exalting to, to the person of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. And I just call them to use it 
In much the same way, I've often been fascinated when you're, when you're going to uh, remodel and repaint and do all those things that you can walk into a Lowe's or a Home Depot and you go in there and you want to get some, uh, a certain paint color and you walk in that, that, that wall and it's kind of daunting. Is it like, what color do you want? Do you want white or off-white or you know, this kind of white? Like, who knew there was like a thousand choices of white? A thousand choices of pink or whatever it happens to be. And then you walk over there and you pick one out and they got a little a number and they associate it and they say, ah, I know exactly what uh, we're going to do. We're going to make that color for you. And they open up the lid and they put it under that little machine, which is kind of funny if you're standing there and drip this color and drip that color and drip this one. And all of a sudden, they put it all in there. They bang the cover back down and throw it into that shaker machine. And uh, I'm sure that's not the official name. And they shake it up. And out comes this beautiful color that you get to enjoy. This is how what God does in the life of the body. He brings different parts and different people and different perspective and different ethnicities and he gathers them all in one place and he, and he puts us all together and sometimes he's got to shake us up a little bit. And he allows culture and a lot of other things to do that. And so that what comes out is this beautiful idea of a color. And that color is reflective of the glory of God and the person of Christ and the work of the Spirit. So that no one can say, well, guess what? He added a little bit more of my color in than your color to make this happen. No. He added all of it together. And he desires for all of them to be used. No matter where they come from. Truth number two, God distributes exactly the right parts to exactly the right places, doesn't he? He brought you here. He brought all of us together. It reminds me so often when you get something that you've ordered and you take it out, and I know my first temptation is, I don't know, what are these directions for? Who sends those anyway? No one uses them. And so you just take a look at the picture on the outside of the box and you just start fingering it out. But for the Lord, he has given those parts for particular reasons and he wants us to use them, which means that he's distributed them for a purpose. He's put you and I here together for a purpose beyond ourselves. It's for God's glory to use our talents for him. Don't just say, no, I'm not going to do that. It's not to just say that you're unsatisfied with the circumstances or say, God, I wish you would have given me a little more. It's, I know this part is usable here. And so often it's difficult. People will say to themselves, well, their, their biggest aching sometimes in their heart is, well, what is my gift? What has is, what is God given me? I don't necessarily know. Do you know what you do when you don't know? You get involved. And you do what's needed and when you do what's needed that the body has, it all of a sudden through the life of the body is revealed through the collective community. Wow, so-and-so does this really well. And you go up to him and you say, do you like this? I love this. And you begin to, as a collective community, affirm various elements of the talents and gifts that God has given to you. So so different than an individualistic mentality. Please don't say, I have the gift of, without affirmation of body life. Because that is dangerous. It could lead to a level of self-exaltation. 
I think as we think about these in 1 Corinthians, we'll say things like this, that, that, that Paul would say, we are servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned us to teach. And other sense in, in 1 Corinthians 12, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. It's the issue that God has assigned you something, are you being responsible to use it? And then he goes through all of these parts and he says, what will it be like if, the, if, you know, if, the, if, if, if someone says, well, because I'm not an eye, well, where would the sense of smell be? But you know, here's what happens in the life of the body, doesn't it not? Everybody seems to want some sense of visibility. And what Paul is simply just in a nutshell saying in this text is, all the parts matter. The visible parts matter, but guess what? Even the parts that can't be seen even matter. He's saying even those parts that are hidden and invisible, and he's given the body structure, right? He, he gives us this divine illustration of the church being a body because some of the outward expressions is you can see the hands, you see the eyes, and you see those things, but what about the sensitive parts? that are wrapped underneath the skeletal system of the heart and the liver and the lungs and all those things. What can you say? Like, I just don't need a lung. You say, no, those are essential to the body. They're not visible overtly to the whole body, but they are no, you can't just dispense of them and say, I don't need a kidney, I don't need a lung, I don't need, I don't need a stomach. I don't. You can't do that. He's saying every single part matters. But if I tell you, if we had a board and we had a volunteer description that said, who wants to be the head, sign up here. How many would sign up? And then the other one right next to it says, who wants to be the armpit? Who wants to be that space between the toes? He'd be like, man, we got a lot of signups over here, but we're lacking a little bit here on the armpit and the, the in between the toes. The reality is, is that the body is, is, is essential, this essentially designed organism that has been constructed by God and has been put together by the work of Christ and the power of the Spirit so that you and I can live in a way that's pleasing to Him because we know this. He distributed parts here for a reason. And when all of a sudden new parts arrive, we recognize we got to figure out where these parts go. And you have a responsibility to say, I, wanna, I want my part, uh, I want to use the part that God has given to me in my talent and gifts for the glory of God as well. But let's not give these various components of corporate excuses when we think about these as well, when we're thinking in our own lives, because you have personal excuses, and then you have these corporate excuses, and you can switch to the next one. Uh, mine doesn't seem to be switching. But just notice this, and we'll go fairly quickly on this. Here's some of the corporate excuses that I find. Yes, well-intended Christians still say these kinds of things. I'm sick of the dead weight around here. You got all these people doing nothing, and then 10% of the people doing 100% of the work. What's the problem here? You know what people do in their mind? They, they start to just get dissatisfied with the church. Or they become complacent. I don't care. Somebody else will pick it up. Somebody else will fill that vacancy. Somebody else will join that ministry. Uh, it's not my time. It's not my season. It's not this. 
We need to cultivate a mindset to say whatever the church needs and is available, then we have to be open to say, God, do you want to use me in that particular way? Don't say, you know what, I'm just sick of this. I've been doing stuff for years and watching people sitting in the pews, and therefore it hinders your personal outlook of why you do ministry. Do you realize you can only control the way you think about ministry? So do that. Be responsible with what you do. Don't think to yourself, you know what, I'm fed, I'm fed up with the church because everybody talks a big game, but no one really gets, gets after it. Don't create some elitist mentality, I'm one of the few in the faithful, I've, you know, the, the, that the biggest thing about you matters because of the, the length of time that you've been here at the chapel. It's not about the length of time, because you can spend a lot of years at the same place and still do nothing. Figure out how you can be using your gifts and talents for the glory of God. Don't say, you know what, say to yourself, you know what, let's see our church expand so that we're not going to say only 10% of the people are doing 100% of the work. What if ever so slowly from year after year as God adds to different parts of this body that that 10% turns to 20%, turns to 30%, turns to 75% and we're doing things together that we could never do alone? so that God would be glorified with that in our church. In order to accomplish that, it takes a humility. That life isn't about us. It's not about my time, my talent. It's about what does God want to use my time for? And what does he want to use uh, to glorify himself with the talents he's given to me? Remember who and why you are serving the Lord. It becomes really critical. And as we think, uh, um, even extend that. When you think of verses 22, uh, notice this. And on the contrary, parts of the body that seem weaker and indispensable, uh, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which is our presentable parts do not require. Now, think about this. When people are serving in an invisible way, let me just ask you, how many times do you say to somebody who's serving and no one else even realizes it, go up to them and say, thank you for doing what you're doing? I know you're not asking for it, but you're serving faithfully and quiet in invisible ways, and this body, we need that. There should be all kinds of ways that, that we that we look at what is invisible and things that aren't as noticeable and we recognize them as indispensable. You realize how many things go on here that are far beyond what happens in this pulpit on Sunday in order to make this ministry work. By and large, so little of that has to do with the person standing behind the pulpit, but with the body of Christ at large engaging in ministries all over the place. We serve together. Visible, invisible, honorable, and less honorable. So that God receives all the glory as he puts us all in the right place. I think it begs us to ask just a couple of questions. And they're these. Are you making excuses for not using your talents in the body of Christ? What kind of attitude do you have in service? Is your attitude right? Is it keeping you from serving? 
What are some of the activities that are going on in your life that you may have to say, well, I'm spending all my time here, which means I have no time left to serve. What if God is calling you to eliminate certain things out of your life so that you can use your talents the way God has wanted you to? Are you willing to do that? Am I only interested in serving when I get some level of accolades Am I willing to serve quietly and invisibly, although indispensable to the body? Are you active in the body enough for people to come around you and even affirm what God has given to you? So many people want a level of affirmation to the gifts and talents that God has given to them, but they don't want, they don't want body involvement in order to receive it. Get part of the body, and I, I, I can almost bet you that God will help you see the things that he's given you. And, and often, it's far more than one thing. But even if it is one thing, it's for the glory of God. Use it no matter what it is. Because in all of our lives, how we use our time and how we talent, the thing, our talents that God has given to us means so much. And so often, we desire things that perhaps God knew that if he gave it to you, that you would use it wrongly. So maybe what God is doing at different times is restricting from you what your selfish heart may long for because you, he knows that you would use it for purposes other than what he designed it for. So be thankful for what he's given to you. Use your gifts and talents. Don't be like the Corinthian church who is exalting themselves on various measures and having this heart of selfishness. But let us be people who, of course, right after this chapter is the chapter of love. He says, I'll tell you what's really significant, love. And we're all called to do that. Use everything that you know God has given to you in that kind of way for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing for us, the way you care for us. Lord, the way that you distribute gifts to the church and to every single believer who has been indwelt by the Spirit of God. Lord, we thank you for the illustration of the life of the Corinthian church so that we can safeguard our own personal perspectives that it cannot be about self-exaltation or individuality, but it must be about you. Lord, and how that collective community seeks to exalt you within, in every one of its parts. Lord, help us to be those people, to extend ourselves in areas where we have not before Lord, and you would change us to be able to, to help one another as we look to love and glorify you. In your name we pray, amen.